Amen. Y'all may be seated. Amen. We are going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. And uh, you might also put a thumb in Psalms 19. Those are the two places we're going to be. If you watched any college football yesterday, you know that it was a bad day to be a Sooner fan. So I want to publicly repent of any Longhorn jokes I've ever made. Um, There's not a whole lot that the state of Oklahoma is known for, but here's one of them. We are the state most affected by tornadoes. Okay, if you don't, if you doubt me, just Google it, all right? And so we're the state most affected by tornadoes. Now, I remember times growing up where I would be literally sitting on my front porch and we would be looking kind of across the countryside and we would see tornadoes ripping across the countryside. Like, I remember those days. I, I got a, a few just vivid memories of that. Now, that's fun until you're on the front porch and you see one coming right at your house. Then everything changes. Okay, now at that moment, I'm in the eighth grade. We go out, kind of our normal thing when it's daylight and we've got storms approaching. We look out of our front window and sure enough, there is literally a tornado coming right for our house. Now, um, it looked like a scene out of Twister, all right? And so you've got people from all these surrounding little homes in our neighborhood. We're all running to this one cellar. We didn't have a cellar. So we were about to all die. So we, we took off for the cellar. So you've got all, cows are flying by, tractors fly, right? And so uh, we make it into the cellar, and then it literally sounds like somebody built a train track right outside the cellar, and the train just went by. I mean, it was the wild scene. Now, when I read Acts chapter 2, that's the sort of scene I get. Okay, they are sitting in this room in Acts chapter 2 as it starts out. And it says the spirit literally falls in this room. It comes to this room. And when it does, it says it's got this sound of a mighty rushing wind filling this room. I mean, it is that sort of a miraculous, woe type of a moment here. Okay, now when the Holy Spirit fell on these people, he empowered them. And this is what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And here's the first, and I think this is really interesting when you think about this. Here's the first thing the Holy Spirit empowered his people to do. In this room, he comes in, he empowers, and this is the first thing you see happening. They are preachers. The Holy Spirit empowered the proclamation of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. And so in Acts chapter 2, you keep reading there, and here's what you're going to find. That Peter, he stands up and he addresses the crowd. He quiets the crowd and he addresses them. And and Peter straight up gives a monologue. He gives a sermon. He goes after it. Okay, so so we've been asking questions like this over the last few weeks. Is the Holy Spirit empowering that in your life? Like, is the Holy Spirit... When you read Acts chapter 2, here's what it's going to say. That they had the mighty works of God on their lips. So here's how we've been talking about it. Is the gospel, are the mighty works of God in the gospel, are they on your lips in everyday conversation? That's been the question. Are they in your conversation in your workplace? Are they in your conversation in your home, in your neighborhood? Now, here's the strange thing that I notice about followers of Jesus. We can be great friends with people and never, and they can be Christians too, followers of God too, and we never talk about the gospel. Isn't that a strange thing? That we would both say this is the center point of life, but yet we never talk about it? So so that's been the point, is the gospel on our lips. So Peter, he gets up, he proclaims the gospel to 3,000 people. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit works in their heart, and 3,000 people get saved. 
The gospel in an instant changed the lives, the direction of everything about it, of 3,000 people. Now, you know, one of my fears for us is that the longer we're a Christian, the more faint that memory becomes of how drastic the change the gospel makes in us. I think that's just a fear that I have. The longer we live as a Christian, the more faint that memory becomes. And if we're not careful, we'll start to doubt that the proclamation of the gospel and the gospel smashing into or conforming, changing a person's heart, we'll begin to doubt that that really happens. The gospel changes everything. Okay, so 3,000 people that day, their lives were totally and radically reoriented around something different around Jesus. They had a new center point of life. Now here's where you pick it up in the, in the back half of Acts chapter 2. These 3,000 people, these disciples, these people that the gospel has changed, they begin to form this community. They come together and they form this community that we would call the church. And so, so Luke is going to give us a snapshot of here's what the early church looked like. Okay, this is the end of chapter 2. Here's your descriptive picture, a snapshot of how the church was operating. Okay, now let me stop before we read this passage and say this. One of my jobs as a pastor is to make sure that we value here in this place the right things. Okay, now, now here's why this is so important. At the end of the day, if we want to end in the right place, we have to start off day one valuing the right things. Your values determine what direction you're going to go. And so it's really important that we value the right things. So what I'm trying to make sure that we see the connection to this morning and over the next few weeks is we've got these values that dominate the culture at Stonegate. We've got these values that have to be underneath and the foundation for everything we do here. And so I'm trying to show you this connection, that these values that we're talking about aren't just pulled out of thin air. These values that we're talking about are connected directly into the first century church. Okay, so let's read this, and then we're asking this question. What do these people value, and how does this relate to us? So here we go in Acts 2, verse 42. And they, these 3,000 people, these disciples that were just created, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing uh, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And then here's what we talked about last week, this this phrase. And the Lord added to their number uh, day by day those who were being saved. So we talked last week about missional living. The core value of missional living. Um, So these people were living in such a way that God was adding to their number. And we would describe the way that we live that God adds to our number as missional living. Living as missionaries in our culture. So if we're in this neighborhood, we have been specifically placed there by God as missionaries. In our workplace, specifically put there by God as missionaries. That's what we talked about last week. Okay, this week, I want you to focus on that first phrase, verse 42. And they, these new believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here's the core value. Um, This simple word called truth. Truth. Okay, so here's what we would just start off and affirm here at Stonegate. That we believe the Bible to be true. Amen? We believe the Bible to be true. So there's 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. And we're saying this. The Bible is true. 
Okay, we're going to say the Bible is authoritative. In other words, um, if I have an opinion and you have an opinion and Billy has an opinion, we're going to all subject our opinions to the Bible because it's the ultimate authority, right? So it's authoritative. Okay, so we're going to also say that it's sufficient. That, okay, as Peter says, that the Bible contains everything we need for life and godliness. The Bible is enough, right? It's sufficient. So, so here's what we're getting at with truth. That we are to be a place that loves the scriptures. We are to be a place that knows the scriptures, that understands the scriptures, and that lives out the scriptures. Okay, so here's what I'm specifically pressing on this morning. And, and here's going to be my encouragement. And this is, what, this is the goal of this morning is we have got to be people, and this is how I want to put it this morning, who desperately and passionately pursue the scriptures. That we need to be people who desperately and passionately pursue the scriptures. Okay, so desperately. We need to be people who have a thirst in our heart. Like we would sacrifice life and limb to have the scriptures. The scriptures are that important to us. Okay, the, our, our heart would echo the heart of the psalmist as he says stuff like this in Psalms 119, 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Okay, in Psalms 119, 107. I am severely afflicted. I am in desperate situation. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Psalms 119, 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. So we just walked in our backyard and found a million dollars, and we would gladly trade that in to have the word. We're desperate for it. That we would be people who desperately and passionately pursue the scriptures. Okay, that there would be a passionate element of this. Okay, that we would be passionate about the truth in our hands. Okay, that we would echo when Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 15, 16. He says, your words were found and I ate them. And they became to me my joy and delight. Okay, that there is passion built into that. Okay, that we would be people like in Psalms 119, 16. I delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. That we would be people who desperately and passionately pursue the scriptures. Psalms 119.11, a familiar passage that we would hide, that we would treasure the word of God in our heart, that we wouldn't sin against God. Uh, Psalms 1, 1 through 3, that we would not take counsel from the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But our delight would be in the law of the Lord. And in his law, we would meditate day and night. That we would be people who desperately and passionately pursue scripture. We've got to be that sort of people. Okay, so here's where I want to take you this morning, Psalms uh, 19. And I, I want to show you and give you some reasons. Like, my hope is to create thirst for that. It, in my, here's not the deal. You're not going to hear me this morning throw a guilt trip out on you. I, that's not what you're going to hear. My, my hope is to create a thirst and a desire for that. That we would be people who desire the scripture. That there would be a desperation, a passionate plea, and a pursuit of them in us. Okay, so Psalms, one, or Psalms 19 is going to help us here. Here we go. Verse 7. Psalms 19, verse 7. And listen just to the beauty of this. I mean, this is a beautiful passage of Scripture. Here we go. The law of the Lord. Okay, so we're talking, uh, that would specifically reference the Torah. But, but now I think we can apply that to the Scriptures. 60, all 66 books, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous together, altogether. Verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Here's what David is saying. That the scriptures are God-breathed and they're active in our life. Like, that's what the scriptures do. And so if there is a choice between them and the TV, we choose the scripture. There's nothing we're going to read, watch, listen to that is more valuable than scripture. It is supremely valuable. Okay, so you can read all the Harry Potter you want, but it's not going to do what the scriptures will do. You can read whatever Christian author you want, but it's not going to do what the scriptures will do. You can listen to any podcast you want, and it's not going to do what the scriptures will do in you and for you. The scriptures are supremely valuable. So we are to be people who passionately and desperately pursue scripture. Okay, I want to give you two reasons why that's so. Okay, here's the first one. Reason number one. The Bible contains the words of God. Okay, that's reason to pursue them desperately. They contain the words of God. Now, I'm going to read Psalms 19, 7 through 9 or 10 to you again. I want you to notice the, the words and the phrases that are highlighted when you see it up here on the screen. The law of who? Of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the who? The Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the are true and righteous altogether. So six times, here's here's what David's saying. Six times over again, that these words that you're reading, They are the words of God. They are the words of the Lord Yahweh. This is the God that says this. If you want to know my name, here's my name. My name is I am. And so what he's saying there in Exodus is is my name is, it's reflective of who I am. That I've always been, I always will be. This is the God that knows everything. This is the God that is perfect. This is the God that creates This is the God that sets the the planet in in motion. This is the God that makes the the earth spin at a thousand miles an hour at the equator. This is the God that is behind everything that governs the world. God is behind gravity. God is behind geometry. God is behind every truth on this planet. God is the one that created it all. So this is the God who is behind all of that, creates the world, sets it in motion. This is the God that knows reality. This is, God, this is the God that knows how things are. This is the God that, that knows. And David is saying, that God that knows, that God that is before all things, creates all things, that God wrote the scriptures. These scriptures are his words. Um, the New Testament's going to teach the same thing. Like in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it's going to say this, that all scripture is God-breathed. In other words, um, there's, there's roughly 40 authors that, that pen the Bible on three different continents over a period of a couple of thousand years. But for, or 2 Timothy 3 is saying this, that all those different people, at the end of the day, God breathed through them the words of this scripture. 
Okay, um, Peter's going to say it like this, that nobody just kind of privately interprets prophecy. Like Isaiah, Jeremiah, John, and Revelation, all these people who wrote scripture, they were carried along by the Spirit. It is the Holy, it is God that wrote this book. Okay, so, so let, me, let me say it this way. When you pick up your Bible, when you read your word, you are reading the words of God. You can be confident that you are reading the words of God. Okay, now, the culture we're all in is just a little bit strange. The Bible is so available. And so if you're, a, if you're not a Christian in this room, you probably have Bibles in your house. If you are a Christian in this room, you have many Bibles in your house. Probably in almost every room in your house. There's Bibles everywhere. They're in houses and hotels. I mean, thank God for the Gideons, right? I mean, those Bibles are in every cabinet on the planet. Okay, so those things are everywhere. Now, that, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. In a lot of parts of the world, that's not true. Here it is. Now, now here's the danger I think we all face. Is the Bible is so plentiful and so available that I think what it does to us is we lose the awe and the wonder of the word of God. When you hold the scriptures, you are holding the words of God Almighty. The, word, the God that knows all. The God that is behind everything. The God that knows how things work. The God that created reality, created truth. You're reading his words. Now, let me ask you the question. Should that create in us a desperation and a passionate pursuit of the scriptures? I think it should. I think it should create that. Like, I'm not up here slamming down a gavel saying, you're guilty if you... I'm, I'm just saying, these are the words of God. We get to see God in these things. We get to know the heartbeat of God in the word, in the scripture. We are to be people who desperately and passionately pursue scripture. That's reason number one. Reason number two, the scriptures are active. The scriptures do things. Like, I, don't really, I don't even know how this works. But listen, you can watch The Notebook 94 times and vow that you're going to be the greatest husband ever now. Okay, you can do that. But I'm just saying this, at the end of the day, it doesn't change you. But somehow, when you read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit slams in and he changes things. Okay, Hebrews 4 is going to say it like this. The word of God is living and active. I don't know how that works. I don't know how you read scripture and it changes people. I don't know that. I'm just saying that it does it. Okay, now let me read this passage to you one more time in Psalms 19. I want you to see what the scriptures do. Not only are these the words of God, but the words of God do things in the heart of believers, in the heart of people. Okay, now watch this. I'm going to highlight a different set of words in Psalms 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. So it's a perfect word of God, but look at what it does. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, and look what it does, making wise the simple. It's active, it does things in us. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, and look what it does. Enlightening the eyes, the fear of the Lord is clean. Look what it does, it endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So in some way, the scriptures, when we read them, they become alive and they are active in our heart. 
When you read the words of God, it does things to you and it does things to me. Okay, so, so let me give you three things I think it does just out of this passage. Number one is it, it affects your life. I could get, I don't even know how this works exactly. I just know it does work. It affects your life. Uh, okay, look at verse seven there. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Okay, maybe a, a better translation of that might be restoring the life of. Um, Kevin was a paramedic for a while. Like that was kind of the direction of Kevin's life. The guy that's leading worship for us up here, Kevin Jones. He was a paramedic for a while. And here, here's one of the first stories that he told me as a paramedic. Pretty weighty first night as a paramedic. Um, he, he's working, I, I guess, through a hospital. And here comes a baby in the emergency room. They're doing CPR, everything they can do to bring this baby back to life. But they couldn't get it back to life. And the baby dies in their arms. Now, here's what David's saying about the word of God. That when you're gasping for breath, when the life has been kicked out of you, somehow the scriptures revive your soul. Somehow the scriptures come in and do this CPR and gives breath again. I hear the Bible described like this a lot, that it's an instruction manual or kind of this roadmap to life type thing. And I'm not saying that's not accurate. I'm just saying it's incomplete. Like it's not just an instruction manual. It's not just a roadmap for life. It's more than that. Now, I want to read this passage to you in Ephesians. It'll be on the screen for you. You don't have to turn there. But I think it gives another picture of what the word does for us that's really, really valuable for you. Okay, so here it is in Ephesians 5. And Paul is in the process of talking about how marriage ultimately is, is created by God to reflect a bigger reality. How you're, if you're married in here, your marriage reflects the reality of God's pursuing love for his bride, the church. Okay, so, so that's the context. And here's what um, Paul's going to say in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now listen to verse 26. That he, Jesus, might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Okay, so what if, as opposed to being a roadmap, what if the scriptures are like me putting Hannah, a little 18-month-old daughter, what if it's like me turning on the water, getting it to the right temperature, putting her in it, me grabbing a washcloth and us playing in the bath? What if it's like um, me grabbing a cup and pouring the water over her head, her splashing, me splash. What if it's uh, me getting the washcloth full of soap and me washing her with it? Okay, now this isn't just a washing like um, I was at the gym and I ran three miles or maybe I took four steps on the treadmill and I'm sweaty and so now I take a shower. It's not that. Um, that same word cleansed, it's katharizo. It's used in Matthew 10 to describe Jesus cleansing lepers. 
So what if it's not, I just got dirt on me, but what if it's, I am diseased and broken. I am discouraged. The life is out of me. I am hurt. And what if the Holy Spirit through the scriptures applies the washcloth to our sores? I mean, what if that's the picture of what the word does to us? Catharizo, we get the word cathartic, it's therapeutic, it revitalizes. What if God, through the scriptures, applies the therapy that restores life? Here's what's often told pastors. Almost all of them burn out at some point. I mean, they crash and burn. Um, this is why you see a ton of pastors having affairs. I mean, at some point, the, the weight crushes and they, they go for the way out. And, and here's what's been told over and over to me as a pastor. That here's what you really need to do. You need to make sure you have good hobbies. And you need to make sure you take vacations. So you need to make sure those things are in order. But what if when I am just severely discouraged when I doubt that God will come through, when I'm hopeless. When just that flame of faith flickers, what if I need the word of God most that revitalizes, that revives, that refreshes, What if that's the thing I need most? What if a week at the beach isn't the the deal? Now, I'm not discounting that. I'm not saying those are, I'm just saying the word of God is what we need most. It revives the soul. That's what it does. It revives us. Okay, so so here's been my last month. And I'll just give you two illustrations of what's happened. Just this is just me personally. My brother calls me about uh, probably three weeks ago, and they get the report. They just sent a little sonogram. Um, my sister-in-law is pregnant, and they get the report back that their baby might have Down syndrome. Um, about a week and a half ago, I get the phone call that um, my dad has leukemia. Okay, now, now here is what that does to you. I mean, if you haven't figured it out, life is bloody. It's brutal. I mean, it's just a matter of time before it kicks you, if it hadn't already. If you live long enough, it's going to happen. And in the middle of that, you know the first thing that that came to my heart was Psalms 54.4? That God is my helper, the upholder of my life. And can I tell you what that did that a hobby won't do? Is it revitalized, refreshed? That's what the, through the Holy Spirit, the word does in you. It revives. It has that effect on your life. Okay, here's the second thing. It affects your mind. Look at this. It's going to be on the screen for you. The testimony of the Lord. Look at what it does. It's sure. And here's what it does. Making wise the simple. It has this effect on your mind. It makes the simple wise. The commandment of the Lord is pure. And look what it does. It enlightens the eyes. Okay, so here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the ability to know and understand reality. 
and to be able to, to effectively navigate reality. Okay, that's what wisdom is. It's the ability to see life for what it is, the ability to see reality, the truth underneath life, and then to be able to navigate life effectively. Okay, now here's the problem with wisdom, is none of us are born that way. None of us are born with wisdom. I've got an 18-month-old daughter, Hannah, and uh, we've taught her sign language because she can't really speak all that stuff exactly yet. So she knows more. I mean, she knows thank you. She knows please. Okay, so she got the sign language thing down. And here's what she literally thinks right now. This is 18-month-old mind working here. She literally thinks that if I do this when I'm sitting in my little high chair, Oreos magically appear in the pantry, and we get one for her. Okay, that's what this means. Somehow that happens. She has no idea how life works yet. We all have to be taught that. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, the way of man is death. Like we think we have this way that leads to life, but in the end, it leads to death. Okay, so we all have to be taught wisdom. So the question is, how are we taught wisdom? And the answer is through the scriptures. If you want to be a wise person, your wisdom is dependent upon the scriptures. Okay, so, so let me maybe make this example. It would seem absolutely crazy to be generous. I mean, if this is what life is, why wouldn't we hoard our possessions, push it all into a big pile and make sure our life is good? Okay, that, that would be, I mean, that would be sound logic unless the light of scripture shines on the fact that riches are dangerous and that heaven is real. Until scripture shines there, we miss that reality. Self-denial would be crazy if this is all, all that there is. Why would we deny ourselves any temporary pleasure if this is all life is? But when the scriptures shine on the reality of heaven and the, sacrifice, or the rewards of the sacrifices of the faithful, then, then here's what living sacrificially it becomes the most obvious and the most logical thing to do. But until the light of Scripture shines there, we will be absolutely in the dark. Does that make sense? The only way we grow in wisdom, like a Psalms 119.105, the law of the Lord, like it's this lamp and it's this light for our path. It shines on reality, on truth, to show us the deepest way that life works. If you want to be a wise person, here's the requirement that you know the words of a wise God. That's it. So it has this effect on your mind. Here's what David's going to say, that it makes the simple wise. That, that somehow it moves the fog of folly out of the picture and enlightens our eyes so that we can see the way things work, so that we can see truth. That's what the law of the Lord, the scriptures, the word of God makes us wise. Okay, so it affects your life, it makes you wise, it affects your mind. Here's the last one. It affects your emotions. You know, here's the test of if you're a person who loves, understands, knows, and applies scripture. It's not seen so much by you knowing the answer to every biblical question. You living in, pursuing scripture is primarily seen, okay, now listen to this, primarily seen in your joy. That stings a little bit. It is primarily seen in your joy. When you live in the truth of scripture, it's much harder to be anxious. When we know Matthew 7 says, we've got a good father, and if he feeds the birds of the air, surely he's going to feed you. If he clothes the lily of the field, surely he's going to provide for you. 
That's what the scriptures do. When we understand the words of God, it creates in us a joy-filled heart. The scriptures are the primary way to your deepest and your enduring joy. The primary way. Okay, so here's how I want to end this morning. I want to give you two encouragements, one warning, then we're out. Two encouragements, one warning, and then we're, we're off the next week. Encouragement number one goes like this. The word of God is for you. Okay, now, now we, we've got to catch these last two things. The word of God is for you. In Exodus 19, here's what goes on. God looks at the people of Israel and he says this to them. You are, you are my treasured possession. You are treasured and you are my possession. And then he says this, and I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. And here's what a priest is. A priest is somebody who can go to God. A priest is somebody that has access to God. A priest is somebody that, that is intimate with God. So he's looking at the people of Israel. You're my treasured possession. You're going to be to me a kingdom of priests. One chapter later, here's what happens in Exodus 20. The people of Israel look at Moses and they look at God up on the mountain and they say, listen, Moses, that looks dangerous. That looks a little scary. That looks a little risky. So why don't you go up, you meet with God and you come back down and kind of relay the message to us. Okay, now now listen to this. Here's what happened in that moment. Rather than being a kingdom of priests, the people of Israel became, became a kingdom with priests. Their curse is our curse. Here is how most followers of Jesus live. We live vicariously through people we love to hear preach and people we love to to read. We live vicariously through them. You go up and meet with God. You bring the goods back down and you just convey to me what, what was up there, what happened. And God is looking at us and here's what he's saying. I want you to step in with me. You are the priest. You don't need somebody to go before you. You, the scripture is for you. Here's the most common objection I hear to to studying the word or not studying the word. It goes like this. I just don't understand. The first time somebody wrote two plus two equals four on a board, guess what? You didn't understand it. A couple of years later, you're doing long division. You've got to start somewhere. We are to be people who desperately and passionately pursue the scripture. Number one objection I hear to the scripture memory goes like this. I just can't memorize anything. Ever, ever said that one? If, if this morning I put $1,000 on this table and I said for every verse you memorize, I will give you $1,000. Your IQ would go up 40 points in one week. You would come back in here next week, revelation will be done. Psalms 19, it's already memorized. What else do you want? You would be a billionaire by next week, right? So maybe our problem is not ability. Maybe it's desire, right? Maybe it's the fact that we won't just deter- desperately and passionately pursue that. This is the word of God, right? Like this is the deal. It has this effect in us. The Bible is for you. It can be had by you. Here's the second thing. Nobody knows and understands the Bible by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. You don't go into your Friday night thinking, you know what, I'm going to hang out with the wife. We're going to pop in a movie, watch whatever. And then the fan just 
crazy. Fan blows, blows open the cover of the Bible to Psalms 19. I'm just going to spend three hours reading. It doesn't happen that way. People who know the scriptures determine that they're going to know the scriptures. If you want to be a person who knows the scripture, the word of God, if you want to be a person who knows them, then you have got to make a plan to know them. Tomorrow, you have got to have a plan that says, I will know more of the Bible tomorrow than I did today. It doesn't happen by accident. Last warning and we're done. I'm going to read this verse and we're out. John 5. There's a real danger in what I'm I'm talking on this morning. Here's the danger. I just want to warn you of it and then we'll close it up. Um, John says this. He's talking to Pharisees, religious people. Okay, and he says this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Here's what he's saying. You're reading the Bible and it's doing you no good. Because at the end of the day, the Bible has become your idol. You can make the Bible an idol. Seminary was great for me, but it was also very dangerous for me. Because in the middle of studying the Bible, it can almost become a textbook that you just need to know answers out of. The Bible is not a textbook for you to know the answers to. That's not why we read the scriptures. And as soon as it turns into that, it becomes very dry, very difficult, and the voice of God is lost in the middle of it. I mean, you can know where you stand on every issue and just miss God in it. Okay, now look at what he says the scriptures are for. It is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. So when we read the Bible, the words of God, we are reading about Jesus. When you read the story of Moses freeing the people out of Israel, that is really the picture of Jesus freeing the people out of sin and slavery. When you read the the story of David and Goliath, that is really the story of God going before us, slaying our giants on the cross. When you read the stories in the Bible, Jesus is what they are bearing witness about. Jesus is the center point, the piece of the Bible. They all bear witness to him. So when we read the scriptures, it's not to know an answer. When we read the scriptures, it is to know Jesus, right? That is why we read it. We ought to be desperate for that, passionate for that. We ought to be people who pursue the scriptures. And here's the warning. As a means of getting Jesus... That's why we read the scriptures. Because Jesus is to be found and to be had in the middle of them. Last phrase and then we're out. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have eternal life. Let's pray. At the end of the day, the scriptures make and have a beautiful invitation in them. The scriptures have this invitation to come to Jesus for eternal life. They have this invitation of come to Jesus so that you can have life. See, it's possible to live and do all the things living people do. Like it's possible to um, be married. It's possible to have sex. It's possible to um, spend money, have houses, have kids. And not really be living. Like it's possible to do all those things yet exist. 
when the Bible is going to say, come to me in the middle of doing all those things and have real life. That's the invitation of the word. Come to me so you can have life. Now, I just want to encourage that. Um, I, I don't know where you are this morning. If you are not a believer in this room, now I want to encourage you, the scripture, read the Bible. I mean, start in the Gospels and just read. The invitation is there for you to have life. Okay, so for the Stonegate family, here's what this message means for us. That these are the sort of people we have to become. Desperate for the word of God. Passionate for the scriptures. So let me ask you the question, does that describe you? Are you living vicariously through your favorite podcast? Are you living vicariously through your favorite author? Or are you going to the Lord to know him? It doesn't happen by accident. It's not the way it works. So may we be the sort of people who do that. May we be the sort of people saturated with the word of God. May we be the sort of people that Psalms 1 is going to say, they take not their counsel from the ungodly. They do not stand in the path of sinners. They do not sit in the seat of the scornful. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, in his law, they meditate day and night. They are like a tree planted not in the desert, not in the barren place, but they are like a tree planted by the streams of water who brings forth its fruit in due season, whose leaves shall never wither. Oh, may we be those sort of people, revitalized and become wise, that are joy-filled people because we're reading the words of our great God and King. So God, I pray that for us. God, I pray that for me. God, give me a desperation for that, a passion for that. God, give that to us. Give that to daddies in this room. May they know their Bibles well. Give that to moms in this room. Will they know their Bibles? May we be people pursuing truth. Help us there. Will you help us? Why don't you stand as we sing this last song and we'll close it up?